Good morning, Central Heights. So good to be with you today. My name is Tim, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet before, and I'm one of the pastors here at Central Heights. As you just heard, we are going through a series here on the 10 core values of our church. But you don't have to be a, a member of Central Heights or, or a regular attendee here, I think, to benefit from this because these values are driven out of Scripture. And so I think the principles can help each and every one of us regardless of, of where we're at. Today we are talking about surrendered obedience, and it is connected to baptism, which we're going to watch at the end of, of the service today. Surrendered obedience, and we're talking about that, we're talking about in relationship with God. And you may have some questions when it comes to obedience. Should it be easy? Should it be hard? Will I have to sacrifice anything to be obedient? Will it cost me something? I think surrendered obedience touches on the very core of what a person envisions Christian, uh, the Christian faith to be all about. Is it about me? Or is it about what God can and will do for me? Or is it something about what I do for God and should do for him? Obedience is a word we rarely speak about in terms of human beings. Today, if the word obedience comes up, it's more likely to come up in the subject of talking about dogs. The escapades of, the, of a particular dog on our pastoral staff has been legendary. And you can see some pictures about him. And so you take dogs to obedience school, right? You don't take cats to obedience school. I think if there was a cat obedience school, they'd probably go bankrupt rather quickly. Dogs, there's hope for. And because despite the messes they make, there is hope for dogs. But humans... Just the word obedience touches on something that I think we hold very sacred, and that is our choice. To surrender our obedience implies that we are compliant to another. That's for dogs. That's not the picture of strength and self-direction and vitality and control that we so often hold up as a high value. But here at Central Heights, we're saying we value in relationship to God Surrendered obedience. We're going to look at it sort of in three layers this morning. We're going to look at the centrality of obedience in God's story. We're going to look at obedience in Jesus. And then we're going to talk about obedience in us as a response. From the beginning, the story of humanity portrayed in Scripture is pivotally influenced by the subject of obedience. The story hinges on obedience or disobedience, and you know it. To the first couple, Adam and Eve, God gave a land, he gave them a responsibility, and God also gave them a command. And the existence of Adam and Eve was to be so rich, but their single act of disobedience train-wrecked the good that God had for them. God had said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. But they did. They did not obey. And their disobedience brought separation from God. It brought the consequences of frustration with one another, frustration with the land, and ultimately it brought death. It's the first major hinge point in the story that God tells us in his scripture. And as the story continues, though, God does not give up on humanity. He ends up calling a man, Abram. And then he calls through him a family to himself and he gives the man Abram, changes his name to Abraham and gives him great promises. And then as he fulfills the promise, 
of a son in old age, God tests him in the area of obedience. Would Abraham give up what is most important to him now? No, no small sacrifice. Would he give up now that treasured son that God had promised to him and fulfilled that promise? Would he give that? Would he allow that? Would he surrender that to God? And he does. Abraham obeys, but God shows that he is good and he provides another way for a sacrifice to be made at a future time And God confirms his promise to Abraham. And he says to him in Genesis 22, verse 17, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. What an amazing promise. Why? Because. Because you have obeyed my voice. God repeats it a few chapters later in Genesis 26. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why would God do that? Because. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Years later, when that family becomes a full-blown nation that we know as Israel, God confirms his commitment to his people, and he gives them a way to relate to him. He gives them these commandments, and they are to be known, and they are to be obeyed. And they come with a promise, a promise for good. In Leviticus 26, we read, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will, give you, I will give you your rains in their season and the land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. There's also a promise for discipline though. But if you will not listen to me and you will not do all these commandments, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that that consume the eyes and make the heart ache, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And Moses later rehearses this to the people in Deuteronomy. He says, And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep, you are to obey, you to observe all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord as he has promised. But as we read on from there and we look at the Old Testament record, we see that the people of God continually struggled with their obedience. They disobeyed and they disobeyed, and God would have to send prophets, and he'd bring them back to them, and they'd repent, and they'd get it together for a while, and then they'd disobey. And we have this continual cycle which brings us to Jesus. And he's going to address that problem, but not in a way that minimizes the call to obey. Jesus does not do away with our need to obey. Jesus says to his followers in John 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, another phrase meaning obey, he it it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The great commission that Jesus gave his followers when he ascended on high, he says to them, before he does that, he says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to witness that today. Somebody obeying that command of God, baptizing them and teaching them to observe. That word means to keep. It means to obey. All that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As we keep reading through God's story in his Bible, we see after Jesus ascended and the church is born, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and we see apostles are given, and later when they write, they speak about obedience, and they talk about it as they introduce themselves and the purpose and calling that God has given to them. For example, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, through whom, speaking of Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Peter says something similar in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. As he introduces himself, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I hope you see in this brief survey, that obedience is central to a relationship with God. It always has been. It continued to be in Jesus and continues to be in this day. In some way, in some fashion, I need to obey. It's central in the story of God and our relationship with him. So let's look at obedience in Jesus. And as we do, we think, should obedience be easy? And I would say, yes. We read in 1 John, in, in verse John chapter 5, that when we love God and we're in this love relationship with him, and, and this is what it means to love God, John says, is to obey his commandments. That, that's, that's evidence of a love relationship with God. When we do that, we obey him. And then John says this, and his commandments, the things that Jesus has instructed us, his way that we need to observe and that we need to keep, they are not grievous to us. They are not burdensome to us. So they are not like we don't feel like we have to. We're, we're, we're compelled in a negative way. It's, it's like this privilege we get to obey him because we're in this love relationship with him. And we are and should be excited to keep his ways. Should obedience be easy in that sense? Yes, it should. But does that mean it should never or will never be hard? Well, as we look at Jesus this morning, I in particular want to look at Hebrews chapter 5. And so if you have your Bible, you can take it there. Hebrews chapter 5. And I'm going to read to us um, verses 7 down to verses 10. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. As the writer to Hebrews here is talking about Jesus and his role as a priest he points us to the ultimate hinge point in God's story. That time when Jesus, 
That time in history that all of history looked forward to, that time in history where all of history looks back to, that time in history when Jesus was about to give his life away in surrendered obedience to the Father and walk towards the cross and embrace a death on which he knew would be placed on him all the, all the sins of all humanity and that he would bear that for us. And as Jesus approached his death, the Son of God, in the days of his flesh, we are told, in his moments of intimate prayer with the Father, as we read about in the Gospels, the Father whom he loves, we know from the Gospels that Jesus asked, Father, if it's possible, could you remove this cup from me? This week, the people that I I work with in particular know that I came back from a two-week break I had put it off for a while um, because I was waiting for my youngest daughter to return home from from overseas and we had planned to holiday together for a bit and it was truly sweet. We got joined by other family members which was kind of unexpected and turned into this one great big party but holidays always come to an end, don't they? And I just hate that part where you're down to the last two or three days and you begin to feel what's ahead of you. And I love the work that God has called me into here, but I still find it hard coming back, knowing and for me, knowing and feeling like the weight of responsibility, the the pressures of leadership, the demands of leadership. And and as that holiday comes to an end, I approach what, and as I approach what is ahead, I start to feel this this difficulty. I, I, I go through this hard space. I can only imagine. And as I think of more difficult things that I've had to face, I can, we can only imagine how Jesus must have felt knowing what the Father whom he loved was asking of him as he approached the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, one of the gospel writers tells us Jesus sweat, as it were, drops of blood. As he wrestled with the obedience that he would have to walk into, Father, if it's possible, Could you please take this cup from me? It was not that Jesus was against what God was asking him to do. He was feeling the weight of what was ahead of him. And this obedience was hard. So there is this mixture. Later in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, it talks about how Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised its shame. So even in in the hardness, he had this joy of, of what he was entering into, but it was also very, very hard. And he cried with loud cries and tears. Have you ever felt what, like what God is asking of you is hard? Obedience is central to our relationship with God and the obedience can be both an experience of joy and delight and hard at the same time. Going to the gym. I've been doing it really most of my life since I was a teenager and off and on I do better sometimes than others. But I can just tell you I know it's good, I know it's good for me. 
So I have this picture in my mind of the benefits that I will receive by going to the gym and doing it on a regular basis. It's much less painful when you do it on a regular basis. And that becomes especially true as you get older. You need to go on a regular basis. Don't do it like once a month. You, you just, you'll kill yourself. <laughs> but as I think about going to the gym, and, and sometimes I really want to go, I'm all revved up, it's great, but there are those times when I do not feel like going. My mind tells me I don't want to go, and my body tells me I don't want to go. And as I begin to put the gym clothes on, my body begins to whine. It's like this little child. This is going to be hard. <laughs> Let's stay home. Let's eat dessert. Let's watch your favorite show. You've PVR'd Shark Tank. Watch it. <laughs> so I need to make a choice, and I grab my body, and I tell my mind that we are going to the gym because the better way is the hard way. And it will accomplish the greater good. And later, surprisingly, the body and the feelings come in alignment. At some point, they're glad I'm there. Or after, they're glad that I went. Hebrews 5, Jesus, in the days of his flesh, it says he learned obedience as a human being. In the days of his flesh, as a human being, he learned it. Like he experienced it. He, he walked through it, through what he would suffer. He was heard. The father heard his cries. He cried out with loud cries and tears. And the father sent his angels to minister to Jesus. But although he was a son, God's plan was not to keep his son from suffering, but to do something amazing through it. People learn so much from the difficulties of their lives. I've had a number of conversations this week that have spoken to today's topic. Unexpectedly, a conversation with a young woman, and she told me, I was a Christian, but not like I am now, and, and she just exudes joy. What was the turning point for her? Well, our conversation, it was suffering. She was diagnosed with cancer in her early 20s. We not only learn from suffering, but God can work amazing things through suffering. And this woman, God used her story and what was happening in her life to literally encourage thousands of women struggling with breast cancer, and it had an impact on our nation's response to it. Her story has been hard, but it has been amazing. Hebrews 5.9, through Jesus' obedience, his willingness to walk into the supreme difficulty as he completed what was asked of him, as his role of the Savior came to the earth, was made perfect. It was fulfilled. It was complete. Look what God did. Jesus did. He accomplished salvation, eternal salvation. So there was a difficult ask there was obedience, and then there is the amazing, the amazing. Salvation. He accomplished eternal salvation, meaning a right relationship with God. Shalom, peace, flourishing, the, the best that you can think of. Everything truly good. In the past, he accomplished that for us. We have been saved, but it's also present. It, it speaks of the eternal life that's breaking into our lives in the present that we can experience now. But it also speaks of the future life that we will have with God in the future days. A world without pain, a world without suffering, a world without death. A complete victory, more than restoring what Adam and Eve lost. 
the greatest accomplishment you could ever imagine. Through his obedience, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation. And I am grateful. Aren't you? The writer says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who... If you're here today and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ or maybe you've, you've ventured a long way from him and you hang out with us at all, you're going to hear a lot of talk about Jesus because God has chosen to reveal himself through his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only way to God. He is the one way of salvation. You must believe in Jesus to know God and to experience his salvation, his life in the present and for eternity. And there's a verse that almost everybody in North America knows. People used to post it behind the football uh, goal, goal stands. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What would we expect the writer to the Hebrews to say when it comes to eternal salvation? That to whoever, he says something different. To whoever obeys That's who will experience his eternal salvation. Now, people who sit on this side of the Great Reformation, that phrase would seem so contrary, so wrong, unless you understand how it fits. Jesus, the, Hebrew, the writer to the Hebrews, makes very clear, Jesus is the only one who can secure salvation. The letter to the Hebrews is written because they are going through difficulty. And in their faith in Jesus Christ, because of their difficulty, they're being tempted to, to abandon Jesus because he's the reason. Their faith to him is the reason that they're experiencing difficulty. So they're, they're being tempted to abandon him and to go back to their old ways. So this letter exalts Jesus in a big way. It shows how great he is, what he's done for them, how superior he is. It shows them that his covenant is superior. The way that he now helps us to get into a relationship with God is superior. That his priesthood, his, his role to, to come between us and God and facilitate our relationship with God is superior to the old way. We can't secure salvation for ourselves. Only he can. So they need to believe in him. They need to have faith in him but they also need to obey. Obedience in us. Just as love and obedience are inseparable, Jesus said, he who loves me will obey my commandments, so faith and obedience are also inseparable. Just a chapter back in Hebrews 4, it reminds us of the Old Testament story where God's people were given a promise they were given a promised land and God delivered them through miracles, signs and wonders from being in slavery and bondage and, and he had them go on this journey to enter into a promised land but when they got there, yes, there would be difficulty. There would be trials. They would face giants. They would have to face their own fears but they were called to take the land and it was theirs. God had promised to them and given it to them but they didn't enter in because they didn't believe. 
And because they didn't believe, they didn't obey. And so they failed to receive the good that God had for them. See, their surrendered obedience was unto something good. It was not to surrender to God's way and and his calling and his leading to lose something. It was to gain. I grew up in a family of four siblings, and we were all like firstborns because my mom and dad, I don't know, they had this system. We were all born four years apart. So two girls came first, and then I was the oldest son, and then had a younger brother, and as we grew up together, we did a lot of stuff together, and I mean, we broke couches, and uh, one, one day when I was about 13, I think it was, we were wrestling, and uh, as we were prone to do, I got the upper hand, and it's funny how you recall certain things in your childhood that just stand out. I remember my brother yelling at me, sort of screaming, best he could, someday I'm going to get you. I didn't know that someday he would grow up to be six foot two and much bigger than I am. So I said at the time, there will never be a day when you will get me. There will never be a day. Now, this, this was the time before MMA. And just so you know what was happening when he said that, I had my knees over his arms. So he's, he's lying like that, his head's here, his arms that way, and I've got my arms, my knees over his biceps, and he can't move. He's given up at this point. He can't move. Uh, and I'm pounding on his chest. <laughs> okay, I've changed. God's done a lot in my life. <laughs> but see, he was losing. He, he had to go to surrender. And sometimes that's our picture in a relationship with God, what it means for us to walk in surrendered obedience with God. But that's, that's the furthest thing from the truth of what it should look like. Your surrender is necessary because there's a promised land that God wants to bring you into. There are good things that he has for you. There is an amazing that God wants to do through you. But God's ways are higher than our ways. And what he knows is better than what your flesh cries out for and what your desires within you sometimes long for and crave. And his ways are more sure than the things that you fear. Hebrews 4, 6, because of their disobedience, they never entered into what God had for them. But if we would surrender our fears, if we would surrender our desires to him and to walk as he's asked us to, we will enter and we will possess the good things that God has for us. Maybe it's no wonder Dallas Willard once wrote in his classic, The Divine Conspiracy, how to combine faith with obedience is surely the essential task of the church as it enters the 21st century. One of the things that the writer to the Hebrews informs us about as he talks about the greatness of Jesus and our relationship with God through him is that Jesus has stacked the deck for us in our favor when it comes to obeying God. Jesus makes obedience possible. First, he has perfectly fulfilled God's requirements on our behalf. So we, w- we know, we just know, we will never measure up to God's standard of perfection in our own ways, our own strength in what we do. But Jesus has. Hebrews tells us he was tempted and yet without sin. 
He measured up perfectly, and his sacrifice on our behalf is perfect. And when we live by faith in him, we are accepted, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by a single offering, speaking of Jesus' offering, because of his surrendered obedience and going to the cross and that offering that he made there, he has, Jesus has, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who God is working in, transforming and changing. So, so as we think about our own obedience and obedience in us, we need to know that the perfection that we, 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 we think that we need to make has already been accomplished in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we just put our faith and trust in him, and we are made accepted before God because of that. Secondly, and this is, it just, to me, it just gets greater and greater and greater. When it comes to our obedience, Jesus God has written his law in our hearts. It's like he has given us a new heart with a new capacity. Hebrews 10, 16 says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. Now fulfilled in New Testament times because of what Jesus has done, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. I have had several friends with heart issues, um, blockages, whereby their capacity was severely limited. And so if they were exerting themselves in some way, you know, they'd be short of breath. They easily become weak. But then they undergo this heart procedure, which is traumatic and invasive. But after the recovery, over time, it's like they have this new lease on life. Because their heart, it's like they got a new heart. They've had heart surgery. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us through his Holy Spirit. See, under the old covenant, we talked about the people en masse were unable to be obedient with God. So God looks at that and he addresses the problem through his son, Jesus Christ, so that ultimately we are looked at as perfect through him. But then we can also begin to live in a way that starts to more and more look like who God always has intended us for, for us to be and to live like. And so he gives us a spiritual surgery of his Holy Spirit whereby he writes his laws in our heart and changes our thinking. We will mess up, but we got to know we have a new capacity to obey under the new covenant. Boom, 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 boom. You got a new heart. You've had heart surgery. You need to know that you can do much more than you think you can. Because not of what you can do in your own self, but because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Boom, 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 He's given you a new heart. He's changed it. Your capacity to obey is greater than you think. Dallas Willard once said, if you convince yourself that you are helpless, you will easily give in to sin. You need to know your capacity to obey because of what God has done and the provision of his Holy Spirit is far greater than you think. And there's more. God helps us even more because we read in Hebrews, because Jesus Christ is our high priest, we have complete access to grace through prayer. Many of you will know the verse, by him therefore let us come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy that we may find that help in time of need. Wow. 
Obedience is central to our relationship with God. That obedience can be both an experience of joy and delight and difficulty. But it is unto something good, and it is unto something amazing. And Jesus has stacked the deck. Jesus has made obedience possible. So what will we do? There's lots more we could talk about in living out our obedience. Later, as the writer writes in Hebrews chapter 5, he talks about the mature, how they, they, through training, have their senses exercised. All of us are in different places in our relationship to God, but it's as we, as we make the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step, that we are trained in obedience, and we become stronger, and our, our capacity grows I've got, a, I've got some people that I know that um, this year have gone on this uh, challenge together to do push-ups. And so they start at the beginning of the year with just doing a couple of push-ups, but the, the way it works is every day you have to do one more. And so they're over 100 now. They're like into 130 now. Every day they do 130-some push-ups at the end of the year, they'll be at 365 for the day. That's, that's how it works. But every day, they just do, they take another step. They just go a little further. And I asked one of the people, I said, hey, is this working for you? Like, are you, like, and they did the, the flex. <laughs> and then they asked me to punch their belly. It's working. <laughs> it's working. As we think about our obedience and our relationship with God, I just want you to think about what is your next step? Knowing that Jesus Christ has already, you know, there's no guilt, there's no shame, we get to do this, what is your next step? God's enabling you, God's empowering you. What is your next step? What is it that you need to do? Today we have some people that are, their next step is to be water baptized. If you've never been water baptized and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I can tell you right now what one of your next steps should be. As Jesus commissioned his disciples, go and make disciples, baptizing them. That's like the, one of the first steps, get baptized. And so if you've delayed and delayed, don't worry about that. Just get it done. Be baptized. What's your next step? Is there something you need to put off? Is there something God's asking you to enter into that might be difficult? Might, it might take your courage. You might have to face some giants. What is your next step? And know that God will be with you. His grace will be sufficient. His Holy Spirit will empower you. You have the capacity, if God calls you to do something, you have the capacity in him to do it. What is your next step? I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to move right into the water baptisms, and then I'll come back and close the service. Father, thank you for giving us, uh, Lord, your word. Thank you for the encouragement of your scriptures. Thank you, they're God-breathed by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you, by your Holy Spirit, are able to take what's written and what I've spoken and to apply it to each of us where we're at individually. And Lord, I just want to pray that there would be a, a, just a, an empowering, a releasing of your Holy Spirit for us to take the next step where you're leading us, Lord, to go there with you, to be willing to go there with you, Lord, that we might experience that good and that amazing that you have for us. I thank you that you love us so much, Lord, that you would send your son. And we want to walk in faith. We want to walk in believing in you, Lord, and obeying you and have great joy and delight in that. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And everybody said, thanks for being with us here this morning. Hopefully we'll see you next week. God bless.